In response to the sermon, let us sing Psalm 24, verse 1, 2, and 3. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we saw previously that the Lord is here in the early stages of his earthly ministry, traveling around Galilee, preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And along with that preaching, the Lord Jesus also spent a fair bit of time healing people from their various ailments and handicaps. Along with the message of good news came many signs of that good news. And what Luke does in our text and in the next passage is to describe two particular examples of the healing ministry of Christ. First, there is the healing of the leper, and then there is the healing of the paralytic. And with each example, Luke wants us to see a different aspect of Christ's healing work. These miracles are not just pulled out of a hat at random, merely for interest's sake. No, the inspired Luke carefully selects two miracles that show us the riches and the fullness of Christ's work. So I proclaim this word of God to you. By healing the leper, Christ shows his power to make us clean. First, we'll see the horrible consequences of sin. Second, we'll see the compassionate power of Christ. And third, the beautiful testimony of the law. First, the horrible consequences of sin. Our text begins with a frightening description. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Maybe this doesn't immediately frighten you, for in our day this disease is not a problem in our Western world. We do not likely know anyone who with leprosy, nor have we heard of outbreaks of it in the news in any recent time. For us, leprosy does not quickly evoke stomach-turning feelings. But what if our text had read that the man was full of cancer? We would then immediately know how serious this man's condition is. For For cancer in our day is mostly an incurable disease, especially if we are full of it. And many of us know people who have suffered greatly from cancer. We have seen them lying in hospital beds, wasting away, so there is hardly anything but skin and bones left of them. Cancer is a horrible, painful, debilitating, and eventually terminal disease. Well, in a manner of speaking, you could say that leprosy is like the cancer of the ancient world. Now, I know the NIV footnote indicates that the Greek word here for leprosy is a general term for skin diseases, which may or may not include the clinical disease known as leprosy or Hansen's disease. We're not going to say much about what precise disease the man had, except to say that whatever form of skin disease he did have, it was debilitating and deadly. Leprosy, in whatever form, was greatly feared in the ancient world, for there was no known cure. Like cancer today, it was terminal 99 times out of 100. Leprosy was a disease of death. But that's not all. In fact, leprosy was even worse than cancer for two reasons. It was a highly visible disease, and it was highly contagious. Today, someone might be walking around with cancer in his body, and no one would know it, maybe not even the person himself. For years on end, but with leprosy, the skin broke out in sores, welts, and rashes. Our text says this man was covered with leprosy. 
you could tell this man was a leper from a mile away. Over time, leprosy had a tragic effect of causing nerves to cauterize and muscles to cease. The result was often that lepers no longer felt pain in various limbs, in fingers and toes especially, with a further result that without even realizing it, they often accidentally injured their own bodies. If we step on broken glass, immediately we react and lift our foot up. A leper might never even notice. Leprosy often resulted in the loss of fingers and toes and further internal infections. One person describes this disease as living a painless hell. A man full of leprosy was thus often an awful sight. And you can imagine that when people saw him coming, they immediately began to scurry out of his way. No one wanted to be near him. No one wanted to catch his infection. As horrible as that condition is of itself, there is yet another reason why leprosy was so feared by people, especially in Israel, for it was a disease of tremendous social and religious consequences. We read about that in Leviticus 13. As soon as anyone observed an abnormal spot in his skin, he had to go to the priest and be examined. Notice he was not sent to the nearest physician, but to the priest, to the man set apart as holy to the Lord for service in the tabernacle. That's a clue already how leprosy was viewed in the eyes of the Lord. It had something to do with a person's relationship with God. And that is brought out explicitly in verse 8, where, after a series of examinations, we read upon a final examination, if the rash has spread in the skin he shall pronounce him unclean. It is an infectious disease. The leper was unclean in the sight of God. What a horrible thing, brothers and sisters. As you read through the book of Exodus and Leviticus, constantly you come across descriptions of objects or animals or things that are unclean to the Lord, things which God's people must stay away from. The whole tabernacle and all its furniture and utensils and the priest who served in it had to be kept meticulously clean before the Lord. No unclean thing or person could come into the holiness of God's presence. Such an action brought God's wrath down upon that person. First, a person had to make himself clean. Then he could come and worship God. But now we read that a person who had contracted leprosy is in a permanent state of uncleanness, totally unable to make himself clean before God. And the result of that permanent uncleanness was equally mortifying. God commands in Leviticus 13.45 that a person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. The leper is to publicly discriminate himself by his appearance and by shouting out, the shouting out of the constant warning, unclean, unclean. The leper became a highly visible, highly audible social outcast, cut off from communion with God and cut off from communion with his people. He was totally alone, living his painless hell outside the camp. What we have in this disease, brothers and sisters, is the most graphic picture of the consequences of sin itself. 
Like all diseases, leprosy exists because of man's original sin and Adam and Eve. It was not that the average leper sinned more than the next person and so deserved his disease. No, his suffering was the result of sin in general. When we sinned in the Garden of Eden, when mankind rejected God and chose his own pathway, that had consequences, not just for our spirit, but also for our body and indeed for all of creation. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The whole planet, the whole universe, is subject to breakdown and decay, and that is all because of our sin. Leprosy was the most obvious consequence that sin in man of that sin in man, and it stood as an affront to God's holiness. The holy God can have no tuck with sin, and so God used the leprous condition to teach the people of Israel the true nature of their own condition. Sinful, sinful, sinful. Leprosy was the supreme living example of what sin does to the human condition. It completely covers us, and then it covers, it cuts us off from fellowship with God and even with fellow man. God allowed atonement for many sins through sacrifices, but the raging infection of leprosy he left as a living testimony to the people that sin was indeed, is indeed horrific with disastrous and fatal results. He wanted everyone to know just how great their sin and misery really are. It's a message that should not be lost on us, beloved. When we read about this leper and think of his horrific life, then think no farther than your own life. You are a sinner, and I am a sinner. The picture of the leper is the picture of you and me in our true natural state, left to our own devices. Just like the leper, by nature we are cut off from God, and we really are dead men walking. Every time we see a cancer patient wasting away or an Alzheimer's patient losing his faculties, we see just a little bit of what by nature we all fully deserve. We need to reckon with the horror of sin. We need to be appalled by its far-reaching consequences. We need to be humbled before God by our sin, just as we sang in Psalm 51. All my transgressions do I know within, and all my sin is constantly before me. The leper himself understood that, and so came, and so came also to experience the compassionate power of Christ. We come to the second point, the compassionate power of Christ. It's remarkable how the leper approaches the Lord Jesus. We read in verse 12, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper speaks about being made clean. This leper had been coping with his disease for some time, for the text says that he was covered with leprosy. The infection had spread to all areas of his skin. This is not a man at the outbreak of the disease, but one who had lived with it for many long years. He had seen his skin deteriorate, his muscles seize, and no doubt, some, extremi some extremities damaged, quite possibly even fallen off. But he doesn't ask for healing. He asks for cleansing. 
No doubt, as a leper had walked through the town that day, he had called out, unclean, unclean. For so long now he had been unclean, cut off from the temple, cut off from God, alienated from his brothers and sisters because of the consequences of sin. More than anything, the leper wants to be made clean again. Healing, yes, that's certainly a part of it, but, O Lord, make me clean. The leper understood the great depth of his own misery, just as David did, creating me a clean heart. The outer condition of my body is bad enough, but I need to be made clean from the inside as well. Do you understand that about your own self as well, beloved? Is your prayer also, Lord, make me clean? This is the proper attitude in approaching God, the only one accepted by him. Then notice as well the faith that accompanies this great humility in the leper. For the leper is not despairing when he comes to Christ. He doesn't approach him with a doubting question. But we find that as soon as he sees him, he falls down on the ground in total humility. There is no hesitation. He has heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. And maybe he has seen him preach and heal others. But whatever the case, he understands something of the nature and the power of this man. For he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, he says, not, are you able? Or, Lord, can you heal me? No, this leper is beyond questions, beyond doubt. He says by implication, I know you can do it, Lord. I ask you to cleanse me. The only question is, are you willing? Do you want to heal me? The, question, the leper approaches Jesus with complete confidence and entreats him as he would entreat God in prayer. In all humility, recognizing the total sovereignty of God over all things, including this horrible disease of leprosy. The leper knows that Christ can cure him, that he can restore him to full community. Pardon me. He can restore him to full communion, but he also knows that the final call is the Lord's and not his own. Is it best that he be healed? Does that serve the Lord's purposes best? I'll leave it entirely up to you, Lord, he implies. And is that not precisely how we should approach the Lord in prayer, beloved? We must go to him in complete humility, counting ourselves unworthy of our own to come before him. In spirit and in truth, we must fall down on our faces in prayer, emptying ourselves of all pride and self-worth, yet full of confidence in our God that he is able to hear us and answer us. Lord, if you are willing... We may and we must bring our needs, our sorrows, our anxieties to God in prayer, ask him for help with the full expectation that he can deliver, that he can rescue, that he can help. If it serves his purposes, if it is for the advancement of his kingdom and for the glory of his name, if he is willing, then all you ask of him, he is able to do. And the leper, lying there in the dust at Jesus' feet, does not go away disappointed. Look at verse 13. Extremely noteworthy, we read, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus touched the leper, brothers and sisters, something no one would, be, would do willingly. Imagine what this would have meant to this leper who had lived in isolation for many years. When this man came into town, he was allowed to go into for a time. Then constantly he warned people, 
unclean, unclean. Get away from me. Don't get contaminated. Don't become unclean yourself. Don't touch me. The crowd would part like the Red Sea, and he would walk all alone down Main Street with no one coming near. For years, beloved, this man had felt no human touch, certainly not from someone who was himself clean, all of which would have increased his loneliness and despair. But now, Jesus deliberately reaches out his hand and touches him. That one action sent an incredible message of hope to the leper. Here was the Lord, the great healer, reaching out and touching him. And with that extended hand, brothers and sisters, we see the essence of what the Son of Man came to do. He reached out to join himself to our condition. Jesus, as Messiah, was sent by his Father for the very purpose of taking on himself the sin of mankind, sin and all its consequences, also the diseases and the handicaps. We see in this touch the tremendous compassion of the Lord Jesus, who, though he was holy in every way, associated with and even identified with the most unclean of Israel, even the lepers. The extended hand is also an echo of God's call to Adam after he sinned. It's a reminder of God's call to Abram, taking him out of the darkness of heathendom into a covenant relationship with him. Christ reaches out and brings this leper into communion again with God and his fellow man. And Christ's compassion is only matched by his power, for he says, I am willing, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Can you imagine, beloved, observing this miracle? The blotched skin becomes clear. The severed fingers grow back. The rotting flesh becomes whole and white again. The seized-up muscles become loose, and all the nerves are restored to full feeling again. The man is made whole in an instant of time. As devastating as the disease was, even more powerful is the one who conquered sin and its consequences, the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need to say, see in this amazing healing is the far-reaching and compassionate power of Christ. I am willing, he told the leper, and so he tells all his people. I am willing to heal your diseases. I am willing to cleanse you from sin and from all the consequences of sin too. And the fact that the leper went away a new man, fully restored, gives evidence to us that full restoration waits for all who are in Christ. The painful headaches, the debilitating backaches, the difficulty with walking, the burning sore in our hips, the wasting diseases, the depressions we undergo, the disturbing memories of past sins, all of these and all other different difficult consequences of sin find a solution in Christ's saving work. He saves us from the guilt of our sin and from its results. He is willing to heal. He is willing to cleanse. And in his time and on that great day of the Lord, we will all be cleansed from every consequence of sin. In Christ we have, just as the leper did, a total cleansing by his compassionate power. We, will, we see this also beautifully displayed in the testimony of the law. That brings us to the third point. After this miraculous healing, the Lord acts, adds a peculiar demand, command. He says in verse 14, 
Don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. It sounds peculiar because Jesus says don't tell anyone when all along he has been in the business, so to speak, of telling people about the good news of the kingdom. Why the silence now? Well, it's not so much that this man had to keep the matter quiet, but rather that he should make known this miracle in the way commanded by Moses, that it would be, for that would be the most effective way of spreading the gospel. Jesus said pointedly at the end of verse 14 that presenting himself to the priest and making the offerings would be a testimony to them. Christ wanted this cleansing to be made known, but in the proper way. For think of it, beloved, this healing, this cleansing of the leprosy, when properly presented to the priests in Jerusalem, would be incontrivably proof to them of his power. Leprosy was incurable. No one knew how to get rid of it. And yet here was a known leper, not only cured, but completely restored, completely healthy. We know from our reading of Leviticus 13 that this leper would have originally been examined by a priest on duty. His case would have been recorded and his name would be among those listed as unclean and so unable to participate in covenantal life. The priests have documented proof that this man was a leper, so when he presented himself to them, they could, no lo- they could not be but stand amazed at the healing power of Jesus of Nazareth. And for Jesus to insist on the Mosaic law to be obeyed by the leper shows indeed that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the ritual cleansing commanded in Leviticus 14 is quite unique and really beautiful. We don't have time to go into all the details, but the priest had to take two live birds, some cedar cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. One of the birds was then killed over fresh water in a clay pot. The blood of the bird was then sprinkled seven times on the former leper, pronouncing him clean. The live bird then was released into the open field. The details and their meaning, even for the scholars, are not entirely clear. But the main action is this. One bird dies while the other one goes free. It seems that the blood of the one bird sets free the other bird, free so that he can go back to his natural habitat, free to live as he normally would. As this former leper would observe this ceremony, he would see the grace of God at work in himself. His sin was paid for by the blood of another. His disease had been healed. He had been made clean because of the shedding of someone else's blood so that he was now free to return to his natural habitat, the covenant community of God. Both the priest and the leper, and thereafter the whole covenant community, would have seen this testimony of God's love in cleansing the leper from his disease. And is this not what the Lord Jesus wanted the leper, the priests, and all the people to see? He, a man, had cleansed the leper. Would it not have been in the same manner as the one as the one bird being slaughtered for the life of another? The Lord Jesus wanted the beautiful testimony of the law to awaken the minds of the priests and the people that this law was a foreshadowing and was about to be fulfilled. This Jesus was about to be slaughtered 
so that this leper and the paralytic and all who trusted in him could go free from the guilt of sin and of its consequences. And I don't think it's without significance that we find a reference to the priests in Luke's second book. In Acts 6, verse 6, we read, with no other explanation, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Could it be that they remembered this testimony of the law and the cleansing of the leper? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Moses to Jesus, the Bible testifies to the power of Christ to make us clean. And in the healing of the leper, we see this is precisely what he desires for each one of us. Believe it, beloved. Trust in his power. Take comfort in his power. You too will one day be completely cleansed. Amen.
Shall we pray? We thank you, merciful God and Father, that you have brought us to the knowledge of you and of your Son by your Spirit and Word, and caused your Word to be proclaimed to us. Grant that we, having received Christ Jesus the Lord, may live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We beseech you, Lord, since we do not obey your holy word as we should, through ignorance and unthankfulness, discontent, remember your great mercy and have compassion on us. Teach us to truly know our sins and to sincerely repent and amend our lives. Strengthen the ministers of your church in order they may faithfully and steadfastly preach your holy word. Likewise, God, Lord, give strength to all who rule over us, that they may use the sword and trust in them in justice and equity. Keep us, we beseech you, from all hypocrisy and unfaithfulness, and frustrate all evil and subtle desires against your word and against your church. O Lord, do not withdraw from us your word and spirit, but grant us a strong faith, patience and steadfastness in all suffering and adversity. Help and sustain your church and deliver your people from opposition, ridicule, and tyranny. Impart strength from on high on those who are weak and sorely sorely burdened by sorrow. Grant us your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask this all in your Son's name only. Amen. Now an opportunity to bring our thanksgiving to the Lord, our gifts of offering, and afterwards we will sing from him. Hymn 54, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. 